0: Hello, hello! This is the Live Lives Day podcast. We are currently reading the Junior Classics Volume Two, uh, Folk Tales and Myths. So we're going to continue from where we left off, and uh, yeah, this will be the podcast. How Thor's Hammer was Lost and Found by E. M. Willman Buxton. Oh, and one more thing: the uh, video we're watching today. Is uh, time-lapse of driving across the United States uh, this is going from the Midwest to the East Coast so that's what this video footage is so how Thor's hammer was lost and found by E.M. Wilmut Buxton most precious in the eyes of Thor was his magic hammer Mjolnir of which even the mighty frost giants stood in dread always he laid it by his side when he went to rest and always it was the first thing for which his hand was outstretched when he, wo- when he awoke. Judge then of his horror and dismay when on opening his eyes one morning the hammer was nowhere to be seen. Starting up with a roar of rage, the Thor commenced to search everywhere for the missing weapon. Up and down his wonderful palace, built of the thunder clouds, he trampled with a noise that shook the whole city of Asgard. But the hammer was not to be found. Then he called upon golden-haired Sif, his wife, and bade her help him in, in the search. And still the hammer was nowhere to be seen. It was clear that someone must have stolen it, and when he realized this, Thor's wrath broke all bounds. He, he bristled red hair, and beard stood upon end, and from then flew a whole volley of fiery sparks presently as the angry aza was shaking the palace with his thunderous voice red loki came along to inquire into the trouble he was not likely to sympathize with thor but always brimfully of curiosity he loved to have a part in everything that happened what's the matter as thor said he and thor replied lowering his voice as he spoke for he did not want his loss to be too widely known now listen to what i tell thee loki tis a thing which is known neither on earth below nor in heaven above my hammer is gone this news was almost interesting to loki who had long owed thor a grudge which he was afraid to pay openly oho said he then shall we soon have the giants turning us out of asgard brother thor not if you use your wits as you know how growled thor still in a very bad temper come you call yourself a clever fellow find out for me who has robbed me of my thunderbolt my hammer my millionaire then loki gave a grin and a wink and promised to do what he could not because he cared for thor but because he loved to be of importance and was moreover really frightened as to what might happen to asgard if the magic hammer was not at hand It was not long before he noticed an extraordinary kind of tempest was raging in the region below not an ordinary kind of tempest with the first some thunder and then some rain but a gust of wind or two such as thor was wont to arrange but a mixture of hail and wind and thunder and lightning rain and snow all raging together in a tremendous muddle so that the earth folk thought the end of the world was coming this gave thor a hint and he began to peer about between the clouds until at length he saw that the trouble was coming from a certain hill which stood in the center of giant land now on the top of this hill lived a certain thyrin prince of the frost giants who for a long time past had been very envious of the might of thor he had indeed done his best to in- intimidate him as far as he could and had managed to get up a very good imitation of lightning and hail and rain, but he had not been able to manage the thunderbolts, for they could only be made by means of Thor's hammer, Mjolnir. All this was well known to Red Loki, and he was therefore not at all surprised to find, somehow or other, Thrym must have got a hold of the magic weapon, for here were thunderbolts crashing about the earth and sky at a terrible rate. When informed of the discovery, Thor flew into still a more tremendous rage, and wanted to rush off at once to try a conclusion with the giant. But Loki, who loved rather to get a thing by trickery and deceit, persuaded him that violence would never do. Remember, said he, that throwing with the hammer is much stronger than Thor without it. This is a matter which must be managed by clever wit and craft, not by force and loud talking. Leave, therefore, the whole matter to me. To this Thor, ver- to this Thor, very reluctantly agreed. Then Loki bethought him of some disguise wherein he might visit Giantland in safety, for he was not at all anxious to risk his life. He betook himself to the house of maidens over which ruled Freya. Fairest of all in Asgard, she who was wont to shake the spring flowers for her gold locks as she passed over the frozen uplands, leaving behind her a region of green and smiling beauty. Loki found the goddess, and begged the loan of her magic falcon plums, in which she was to want to flit to a froth over the earth, and when she learnt for what purpose he needed them, she gladly assented." Then Loki took the appearance of a great brown bird, and spreading his wings he flew away toward giant land. It was a long journey, as he already knew, and although the tempest had now ceased to rage, he found the country of the giants darker and colder and drearier than ever. The longest journey com- comes to an end, and at Loki at length Loki reached a mountain where sat the giant Thrym, his huge legs dangling to ground, playing with a puppy as large as an elephant. Perching as near as he dared, Loki gazed at the giant with his bright round eyes, and was wondering how to begin, when Thrym, who at a glance had been completely through his disguise, said calmly in a voice as much as possible like Thor's thunderous roar, Oh no, Loki, what are you doing so far from Asgard? Are you not afraid little fellow as you are to venture alone into our country then loki thinking to win his way by flattery replied sad indeed is it an angard now that milliner is vanished clever was that one who spirited it away from the very side of thor methinks none but you could have done it O mighty thrym pleased with the compliments to his cleverness the giant chuckled before admitting "'Aye, Loki, the hammer is mine. "'Tis very true, and now men will know who really is the thunderer.' "'Ah, well,' sighed cunning loki "'Some men are strong by reason of their weapons, "'and some are just as strong without. "'Small need have you, O mighty Throne, for hammers. "'But Thor is not without it. "'Yet since all the world knows that you are his master, "'let him have his plaything back.' that we may cease to be troubled by this pervish outcry. But though Thorn was as stupid as he was big, he was not to be caught thus. No, no, my little Loki, said he, mine is the hammer, and deep have I buried it beneath the bottom of the sea. Go tell this to your Asafolk, and say to them that I will give it back on one condition only, that is, that they send me Freya, the fairest of maidens, to be my wife. At this suggestion Loki could scarcely keep from laughing, for the idea of sending the beautiful Freya, the joy and delight of Asgard, to be the wife of this ill-favored frost-giant was too absurd for words. It was not much to him, however, what happened to anyone except himself, so he hastily replied, Be sure, O Thrawn, that everything I can do further the matter shall be done, and if Freya is OF THE SAME MIND AS I, YOU WILL SOON BE WELCOMED, THAT MOST SWEET MAIDEN, TO GIANT LAND. FAREWELL. So saying he spread his brown wings, and flew back to Asgard, delighted to think of the mischief he could now set brewing. First of all he visited Thor, and told him of what had passed, and the thunderer, when he had heard of Thorin's boastful words, was filled with wild wrath, and wanted to start off, and then and there and wrest the hammer from the depths of the sea, but Loki pointed out the difficulties that stood in the way, and, leaving the Aza to ponder over his words, he hurried off to Freya and informed her of Thran's proposal. The beautiful Freya was walking in her garden, and round her neck she wore the famous necklace of stars. When she learned Loki's suggestion, that she could wed a hideous giant, she fell into such a rage, that she broke her necklace, and all the stars went falling through the sky, so that men cried, See how the stars are shooting. Meantime the Azza folk had met together to consider all that had happened, and having calmed the fury of Thor, they pointed out to him that Asgard stood in the greatest of danger of attack, which would find them quite unprotected, When they had said this several times over, Thor began to weary of the subject, and he replied, with great surliness, very well. "'All the world knows that you are his master. Let him have his plaything back, that we may cease to be troubled by his previous outcry. But Thor Thor was... uh, Then let Thria go to Thorne as his wife, and then shall we be as before.' with Milner to defend us. When Freya heard this, her rage turned to tears and lamentations, and she declared that it would be death to her to send her to such gloomy halls of giant land, when she could never hope to revisit the flowery meads and grassy slopes of Asgard. And the Asus, unable to bear the sight of her grief, with one voice declared that they would never spare her from the home of bliss. Then there stepped forward Himindal, a watchman who sits on guard over the rainbow bridge by night and day now himindul had the gift of seeing into the future and the it were already, was always ready to hear his word well known them to be wise my plan is this said he let thor borrow the, cla- the clothes of freya and put a thick veil over his face and let him go thus to Thraim's castle and pass for his bride and if not he cannot by some means manage to get hold of the hammer when he is there, While he must give up it altogether. At this suggestion the Azas clasped their hands with approval. All indeed, save Thor, who looked most glum, and was extremely unwilling to agree to the plan. Dress me as a bride, he grumbled, a pretty maiden I shall make. Ready enough I am to fight, but I will not make myself a laughing-stock if I know it but as besought him to give way, while Loki twitted him with cowardice, fair Freya too, appealed with her tearful eyes, and so at length, with great reluctance, the thunderer agreed to do what they wished. Fortunately the maiden Freya was very tall, but even so it was with some difficulty that they managed to cover the burly form of Thor with her robes. He insisted, moreover, upon wearing his own shirt, of mail and his grendel of strength and these took much drapery to hide great was the laughter in the halls of asgard that night as the battle maidens brushed and cured thor's long yellow hair and set the jewels headdress upon it and finally when the maidens proceeded to cover up his thick head with angry eyes and sickened the mirth of the asa was unrestrained. to complete the disguise the maidens hung round his neck the famous necklace which had now been restrung and finally Frigga, the wife of all father Ordin, secured at his girdle the great bunch of keys proper to brides at the wedding in the northland while this was done loki more than all had been convulsed by merriment at the success of his mischief-making The very sight of Thor's disgusted look, and the great hands clenched with rage under the delicate veil, nearly killed him with laughter, and when all was ready, he declared himself unable to loose an atom of the fun in store. Let me go with you, implored. See, I will dress myself as your handmaiden. Ah, well, you better agree, for without me to prompt you, you will never play your part. So Loki dressed as a waiting maid, and took his seat. Eat very demure by the side of thor in the goat-car loud was the laughter in asgard as the Asas watched the two drive off together and hear the roar of the thunderer's voice issuing from the folds of the meek maiden's veil as he urged his goat upon their course long and stormy was that ride to giant land for thor was still in the worst of tempers and drove his chariot so furiously that the mountains crashed and the earth stood in flames. As hoofs and goats clattered over the mountains, and watchers striking sparks everywhere they touched a rock, Thrym was much overjoyed when he heard that a chariot containing the two maidens was approaching his door. Away ran his servants in different directions, some with orders to make some with orders to make ready for a grand banquet, some to prepare the chambers of the brides, some to receive her at the door. The giant himself assisted them to all right, and looked with admiration at the safety figure of his bride. But he made no attempt to see her face, since it is custom in the Northland for the bride to remain veiled until the marriage had been completed." A bride worthy of a giant, murmured his servants, as he led her to a lofty seat beside his own great throne of gold, and they looked with approval also at the buxom form of the waiting maid, who stood closely veiled behind her mistress's chair. Now the journey had been long and cold, and it was with joy that the newcomers noticed that the preparations for the banquet were complete, for they were exceedingly hungry. The giants are huge eaters, and they gathered round the board whereon were displayed an enormous ox roasted whole and a vast dish of salmon and various other dainties but because the bride was a woman and the modest withal they thought her tiny morsels on a dainty plate this was too much for thor who had always possessed most healthy appetite and was now more than unusually ready for his supper gradually drawing nearer to the table whilst the others were busy with the meal he managed to get a hold of the dish of roasted ox and within a few minutes the whole of the animal had disappeared then he put out his hand to the platter of salmon and in eight mouthfuls disposed of eight of the great fish after this he noticed a large plate full of cakes and sweetmeats which was set apart for the ladies of the party of these two he made short work finally feeling thirsty after his huge meal took upon two barrels of meat, and tossed them off, one after another, down his caparious throat. Then he sat back on his chair with a sigh of deep content. These proceedings had been watched by Loki with uneasiness, but by Thrym with open-mouthed dismay was the unusual appetite of this dainty maiden, who had eaten more than the company of giants. But Loki bent toward him, and whispered in his ear that the thought of marrying had so excited Freya that she had eaten nothing for eight days, and had therefore been on the point of starvation. This reassured the giant, and being now himself filled with meat, he drew near, and lifting the corner of the veil, tried to kiss the cheek of the future bride. But Thor, who was longing to be at close grips with him, threw him such a fierce glance, and he drew quickly back, saying, Why does fair Freya eye burn like that? a spark from a furnace. Pooh, whispered Loki, again, that is nothing but love for you, which for eight days has raged like a flaming fire. This news was still more pleasant to hear, and Thorm in high good humor, cried, Bring in the hammer, my wedding gift, wherein to plight the maid, for when I have laid it upon her lap, she will be my own forever, and together we will work dire evil against the Azza folk whom I hate with all my heart. What was that unmaidenly sound that issued from under the silken veil at these words? But Loki turned pale to hear it, Thrym, busy sending for the hammer did not pay any heed. Back came the giant servants at length, bending under the weight of a and as they bowed before the silent maiden, sitting with meekly head upon the throne. Thrym cried with a merry jest, See, here is little Thor, tiny plain thing, a pretty toy truly for his feeble hands take it fair freya as my wedding gift and take that as mine roared thor in a voice of thunder as he flung off the veil and rose to his full height and with the words he swung the hammer once and the ear of the eye could follow its movement it had crashed to Thorn's skull and had knocked over a, a round dozen of his guests Yet again did it swing in Asa's hand, and by this time it left not a giant standing in the hall. A third time it was swung, and on this occasion the roof and walls of the palace came tumbling on every side, and only Thor and Loki were left alive amidst the ruins. Aha! laughed Red Loki. That is neatly done, fair Freya. Thor, who was now busy busily tearing off the hated robes and veils, stayed to look threateningly at his companion. No more of that, Loki, said he. The thing had to be done, Tis true, but talk not to me again of this woman's work. We will remember only that I am the thunderer, and that my hammer was lost is found. So they drove back peacefully to Asgard, and as this is the end of the tale of how Thor's hammer was lost and found. Aduna's Apple of Youth by E. Carey Reflections in the Water Of all the groves and gardens round the city of Asgard, and there were many and beautiful, there was none so beautiful as the one where Aduna, the wife of Bragi, lived. It stood on the south side of the hill, not far from Gladsheim, and it called always young, because nothing that grew there would ever decay, or became the least bit older than it was on the day when eduna entered it the trees were always a tender light green colour and the hedges dew in spring the flowers were mostly half opened and every blade of grass bore always a trembling glittering drop of early dew brisk little winds wandering about the grove making the leaves dance from morning till night and swaying backwards and forwards as the head of the flowers blow away said the leaves to the wind for we shall never be tired and you will never be old said the w- winds in answer and then the birds took up the chorus and sang never tire and never ge- old iduna the mistress of the grove was fit to live among the young birds and tender leaves and the spring flowers she was so fair that when she bent over the river to entice her swans to come to her even the stupid fish stood still in the water afraid to destroy so beautiful an image by swimming over it and when she held out her hand with bread for the swans to eat you would not have known it from the lily; really, it was so wonderfully white iduna never left her grove even to pay visit to her nearest neighbor and yet she did not lend by any means a dull life FOR BESIDES HAVING THE COMPANY OF HER HUSBAND, BRAGGY WHO MUST HAVE BEEN AN ENTERTAINING PERSON TO LIVE WITH, FOR HE IS SAID TO HAVE KNOWN A STORY WHICH NEVER CAME TO AN END, AND YET WHICH NEVER grew WEARISOME, AS ALL HEROES OF ASGARD MADE A POINT OF COMING TO CALL UPON HER EVERY DAY, IT WAS NATURAL ENOUGH THAT sh- THEY SHOULD LIKE TO VISIT SO BEAUTIFUL A GROVE, AND SO FAIR A LADY, AND YET TO CONFESS THE TRUTH. It is not quite to see either the grove of edina that they came edina herself was well aware of this and when her visitors had chatted a short time with her she never failed to bring out the infirmost recess of her bower and certain golden casket and to request as a favour that her guests would not think of going away till they had tasted her apples which she flattered herself and had better flavor than any other fruit in the world. It would have been quite unlike a hero of Asgard to have refused such a courtesy, and, besides, Iduna was not as far wrong about her apples as hostesses generally are, when they boast of the good things on their tables. There is no doubt her apples had a particular flavor, and if any one of the heroes happened to be a little tired, or a little out of spirits, or a little cross, when they came into the bower, it always followed that as soon as he had eaten one apple, he found himself as fresh and vigorous and happy as he had ever been in his life. So fond were these heroes of these apples. And so necessarily did they think of them to their daily comfort, that they never went on a journey without requesting Iduna to give them one or two to fortify them against the fatigues of the way. Idina had no difficulty in complying with this request. She had no fear of her store ever failing, for as surely as she took an apple from her casket, another fell in, but where it came from Idina could never discover. She never saw it until it was close to the bottom of the casket, but always heard the sweet tinkling sound it made when it touched the golden rim, it was as good, as play, to stand by her basket, taking apples out and watching the fresh, rosy ones come tumbling in, without knowing who threw them. One spring morning, Aduna was very busy taking the apples out of her casket, for several of the heroes were taking advantage of the fine weather to journey out into the world. Braggy was going from home, to, was going from home. For a time, perhaps he was tired of telling his story only to Edina, and perhaps she was made a point of coming to call only to Edina, and perhaps she was becoming to know it by heart. And Odin, Loki, and the heroine all had agreed to take a little tour in the direction of Jotunheim, just to see if any entertaining adventure could befall them when they had all received their apples, and taken a tender farewell of Edina, the grove green fair as it was, looked perhaps a little solitary. Adina stood by her fountain, watching the bright water as it danced up into the air and quivered, and turned and fell back, making a hundred little flashing circles in the river. And then she grew tired, for once of the light and the noise, and wandered down to a still place, where the river was shaded by low bushes on each side and reflected clearly the blue sky overhead. Regina sat down and looked into the deep water. Beside her own fair face there was little wandering white clouds to be seen reflected there. She counted them as they sailed past. At length a strange form was reflected upon her from the water, large, dark, lowering wings, pointed claws, and head with fierce eyes, looking at her. Adina stared and raised her head. It was above as well as below, the same wings, the same eyes, the same head, looking down from the blue sky as well as up from the water. Such a sight had never been seen near Asgard before, and while Idina looked, the thing waved its wings and went up and up till it lessened to a dark spot in the clouds and on the river. It was no longer terrible to look at, but as it shot shook its wings, a number of little black feathers fell from them, and flew down toward the grove, as they neared the trees. They no longer looked like feathers, each had two independent wings, and heads of its own, and they were in fact a swarm of nervous apprehensions, troublesome little insects, enough and well known elsewhere, but which now for the first time found their way into the grove. Udina ran away from them, she shook them off, and she fought quite bravely against them, but they are by no means easy to get rid of. And then at least one crept within the folds of her dress and twisted itself down to her heart, and a new strange feeling, thrilled there, a feeling never yet known to any dweller in Asgard. Udina did not know what to make of it. 2. The Winged Giant In the meantime, Odin, and Loki, and Honir, proceeded on their journey, they were not bound on any particular quest, they strayed hither and thither, that Odin might see that things were going on well in the world, and his subjects comporting themselves in becoming manner. Every now and then they halted, while Odin inspected the thatching of a barn, or stood at a smithy to see how the smith welded his hammer, or in a furrow to observe if the ploughman guided his plough-share evenly through the soil. Well done, he said, if the workman was working with all his might, and he turned away, leaving something behind him, a straw in the barn, a piece of old iron at the forge, a grain of furrow, nothing to look at. But ever after the barn was always full, the forge fire never went out, and the field yielded bountifully. Toward noon, Azir... Wa- reached a shady valley, and, feeling tired and hungry, Odin proposed to sit down under a tree, while he rested and studied the book of ruins which he had with him. He requested Loki and the heroine to prepare some dinner. "'I will undertake the meat and the fire,' said Heroin. "'You, Loki, will like nothing better than foraging about for what good things you can pick up.' "'That is precisely what I mean to do,' said Loki." there is a farmhouse near here from which i can perceive a savoury smell it will be strange with my cunning if i do not contrive to have the best of all the dishes under this tree before your fire is up as loki spoke he turned a stone in his hand and immediately he assumed the shape of a large black cat in this form he stole in at the kitchen window of the farmhouse where a busy housewife was intent on taking pies and cakes from a deep oven, and ranging them up on a dresser. Under the window, Loki watched his opportunity, and whenever the mistress' back was turned, he whisked a cake or pie out of the window. Why, one, two, three, why, there was fewer every time. I bring a fresh one from the oven, cried the bewildered housewife. It is a thieving cat, I see, at the end of her tail, on the window sill, Out of the window lent the housewife to throw a stone at the cat but she could not see anything but a thin cow trespassing in her garden and when she ran out with a stick to drive away the cow it too had vanished and an old raven with she young ones and flying over the garden edge the raven was loki the little ones were the pies and when she reached the valley and changed himself and them into the proper shapes he had a hearty laugh with his own cleverness, and the old woman's dismay. Well done, Loki, king of thieves, said a chorus of foxes, who peeped out of their holes to see the only one of the heirs whose conduct they could appreciate, but Odin, when he heard of it, was very far from thinking it well done. He was extremely displeased, with Loki, for having disgraced himself by such mean tricks. It is true, he said, that my subject... May well be glad to furnish me with all I require, but it should be done knowingly. Return to the farmhouse, and place these three black stones on the table from whence you stole their provisions. Loki, unwilling as he was to do anything he believed likely to bring good to others, was obliged to obey. He made himself into the shape of a white owl, and flew once more through the window, and dropped the stones out of his beak and they sank deep into the table and looked like three black stains on the white deal board from that time the housewife led an easy the housewife led an easy life there was no need for her to grind corn or mix dough or prepare meat let her enter her kitchen at what time of day she would stores of provisions stood smoking hot on the table she kept her own counsel about it and enjoyed the reputation of being the most economical housekeeper in the whole countryside but one thing disturbed her mind and prevented her thoroughly enjoying the envy and wonder of the neighboring wives all the rubbing and brushing and cleaning of the world could not remove the three black stains from her kitchen table and as she had no cooking to do she spent the greater part of her time looking at them if they were but gone she said a hundred times a day i should be content but how as one to enjoy one's life, when one cannot rub the stains off one's own table. Perhaps Loki foresaw how the good wife would use her gift, for the, he came back to the farmhouse in the best spirits. We will now, with Father Odin's permission, sit down to dinner, he said, for surely, Brother Hoen, while I have been making so many journeys to and fro, you have been doing something with that fire I see blazing so fiercely and with that own iron pot over it. The meat will be by this time ready, no doubt, said Horan. I killed a wild ox while you were away, and part of it has now been for some time stewing in the pot. And Azir now seating himself near the fire, and Horan lifting up the lid of the pot, a thick steam rose from it. But when he took out the meat, it was as red and uncooked as when he first put it in the pot. Patience," said Honir, and Odin, again looked out of his book of runes. Another hour passed, and Horin began to take, a, took, and Horin again took off the lid and looked at the meat. But it was in precisely the same state as before. This happened several times, and even the cunning Loki was puzzled. When suddenly a strange noise was heard coming from a tree near, and looking up, they saw an enormous human-headed eagle seated on one of the branches and looking at them with two fierce eyes while they looked it spoke give me my share of the feast it said and all the meat shall presently be done come down and take it it lies before you said loki while odin looked on with thoughtful eyes for he saw plainly that it was no mortal bird who had the boldness to claim a share of azir's food undaunted by odin's majestic looks The eagle flew down, and, seizing a large piece of meat, was going to fly away with it. When Loki, thinking he had now got the bird in his power, took up a stick that lay near and struck a hard blow on the eagle's back, the stick made a ringing sound as it fell. But when Loki tried to draw it back, he found that it struck with an extraordinary force to the eagle's back. Neither could he withdraw his own hand from the other other end. Something like a laugh came from the creature's half-human, half-bird-like mouth, and then it spread its dark wings and rose up into the air, dragging Loki after. It is as I thought, said Odin, as he saw the eagle's enormous bulk barred out against the sky. It is Theseus, the strong giant in Jotunheim, who has presumed to show himself in our presence. Loki has only received the reward of his treachery, and is now ill become us to interfere in his behalf but as the monster is near it will be well for us to return to asgard lest any misfortune should befall the city in our absence while odin spoke the winged creature had risen up so high as to be invisible even to the eyes of azir and during their return to asgard he did not again appear before them but as they approached the gates of the city there were surprised to see loki coming to meet them he had a crestfallen and bewildered look and when they questioned him as to what had happened to him since they had parted in such a strange way he declared himself to be quite unable to give any further account of his adventures than that he had been carried rapidly through the air by the giant and at last thrown down in a great height near the place where azirs met him odin looked steadfastly at him as he spoke, but he forbore to question him further, for he knew well that there was no hope of hearing the truth from Loki, and he kept within his own mind the conviction that he felt that some disastrous result must follow a meeting between two such evil-doers as Loki and the giant Thesis. That evening, when ear were all feasting and telling stories to each other in the great hall of Valhalla, Loki stole from Gladheim and went alone to visit Endua in her grove. It was a still bright evening. The leaves of the trees moved softly up and down, whispering sweet words to each other. The, fro- the flowers, with half-shut eyes, nodded sleepily to their own reflections in the water, and Iduna sat by the fountain, with her head resting in one hand, thinking of pleasant things. "'It is all very well,' thought Loki, "'but I am not the happier because people can here live such pleasant lives.' It does not do me any good, or cure the pain I have had so long in my heart. Loki's long shadow, for the sun was setting, fell on the water as he approached, and made Adina start. She remembered the sight that had disturbed her so much in the morning, but when she saw only Loki, she looked up and smiled kindly, for he had so often accompanied the other Azirs in the visit to her grove i am weary with a long journey said loki abruptly and i will eat one of your apples to refresh me after my fatigue the casket stood by adina's side and she immediately put her hand and gave loki an apple to her surprise instead of thanking her warmly or beginning to eat it he turned it round and round in his hand with contemptuous air it is true then he said after looking intently at the apple for some time your apples are but small and withered in comparison i was unwilling to believe it at first but now i can doubt no longer small and withered said udina rising hastily nay as a odin himself who has traversed the whole world assured me that he has never seen any to be as compared to them that will never be said again returned loki for this very afternoon i have discovered a tree in a grove not far from Asgard, on which grow apples so beautiful that no one who has seen them will ever care again for yours. "'I do not wish to see or hear them,' said Idina, trying to turn away with an indifferent air. But Logi followed her and continued to speak more and more strongly of the, beautiful, uh, the beauty of this new fruit, hinting that Udina would be sorry that she had refused to listen when she found all her guests deserting her the new grove, and when even Bragdi began to think lightly of her and her gifts, at this Edenia sighed, and Loki came up close to her and whispered in her ear, It is but a short way from Asgard, and the sun has not yet set, Come out with me, and before anyone else has seen the apples, you shall gather them and put them in your casket, and no woman shall ever have it in her power to boast that she can feast the Asmir Morse. Sir than Udina. Now Udina had often been cautioned by her husband never to let anything tempt her to leave the grove, and she had always been so happy here that she thought there was no use in telling her the same thing so often over. But now her mind was so full of the wonderfully beautiful fruit, and she felt a burning wish to get it for herself that she quite forgot her husband's commands. It is only a little way away she said to herself there can be no harm in going out just this once and as loki went on urging her she took up her basket from the ground hastily and begged him to show her show her the way to this other grove loki walked very quickly and adina had not time to collect her thoughts before she found herself at the entrance of always young and the gate she would gladly have stopped a minute to take a breath but loki took hold of her hand and forced her to pass through and at the moment of passing she drew, she half drew back for it seemed to her that all the trees in the grove suddenly called out in alarm come back come back oh come back udina she half drew back her hand but it was too late and the gate fell behind her and she and loki stood together without the grove The trees rose up between them, and the setting sun cast a deep shadow on the place where they stood. A cold night air blew on Udina's cheek and made her shiver. Let us hasten on, said she to Loki, let us hasten on, and soon come back again. But Loki was not looking on, he was looking up. Udina raised her eyes in the direction of his, and her heart died within her. For there, high up overhead, just as she had seen it in the morning, hung the lowering dark wings, the sharp talons, and the fierce head looking at her. For one moment it stood still above her head, and then lower and lower the huge shadow fell. And before Edina found breath to speak, the dark wings folded around her, and she was borne high up in the air, northwards toward the grey mist that hung over Jotunheim. Loki watched till she was out of sight, and then returned to Asgard. The presence of the giant was no wonder to him. For he had, in truth, purchased his own release by promising to deliver Idina and her casket into the power, but as he returned alone through the grove a forbidding fear pressed on his mind. If it should be true, he thought, that Idina's apples are the wonders of Odin's power attributes to them, if I, amongst the rest, should suffer from the loss. Occupied with these thoughts, he passed quickly among the trees, keeping his eyes resolutely fixed on the ground. He dared not trust himself to look around, for once when he had raised his head and fancied that, gliding through the brushwood, he had seen the dark robes and pale face of his daughter Hella. 3. Hella It was known that Aegina had disappeared from her grove, there were many sorrowful faces in Asgard, and anxious voices were heard inquiring for her. Loki walked about with as grave a face, made asked as many questions as any one else, but had a secret fear that became stronger every day, that now at last the consequence of his evil ways would find him out. Days passed on, and the look of care instead of wearing away deepened on the faces of the Azir. They met and looked at each other, and turned away, seeing each saw that some strange change was creeping over all the others, and none liked to be the first to speak of it. It came on very gradually, a little change every day, and no day ever passing without the change. The leaves of the trees in Udina's grove deepened in color. They first became a sober green, then a glowing red, and at last a a pale brown, and when the brisk winds came and blew them about they moved every day more languidly let us alone they said at length we are tired 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 the wind surprised carrying the new sound of gladdenheim and whispered it all round the banquet hall where the azir sat and they rushed back again and blew all through the grove we are tired said the leaves again we are tired we are old we are going to die and at that word they broke from the trees one by one and fluttered to the ground glad to rest anywhere and the winds having nothing else to do went back to the gladsheim with a last strange word they had learned the azir were all assembled in valhalla but there were no stories told and no songs sung no one spoke much but loki and he was that day in a talking humour he moved from one to another whispering an unwelcome word in every ear "'Have you noticed your mother, Frigga?' Said, he said to Baldr. "'Do you see how white her hair is growing, "'and what a number of deep lines are printed on her face?' "'He then turned to Frey. "'Look at your sister Freya and your friend Baldr,' he said, "'as they sit opposite to us. "'What exchange has come over them lately? "'Who would think that that pale man and that faded woman "'were Balder and the beautiful Freya, the Fair?' "'You are tired, you are old, you are going to die,' moaned the winds." wandering all around the great halls and coming in and out of the hundred doorways and all the azir looked up and at the sad sound they saw for the first time that a new guest had seated herself that day at the table of the azir they could no question of her fitness on the score of royalty for the crown rested upon her brow and in her hand she held a a sceptre but the fingers that grasped the sceptre were white and fleshless, and under the crown looked the threatening face of Helena, half-corpse, half-queen. A great fear fell on the Azir, as they looked, and only Odin found voice to speak to her. Dreadful daughter of Loki, he said, by what warrant do you dare leave the kingdom where I permit you to reign, and come take your place among the Azir, who are no match for such as you? Then Helena raised her bony finger and pointed one by one to the guests that sat around white hair she said wrinkled faces wary limbs dull eyes these are the warrants which have summoned me from the land of shadows to sit amongst the aesir i have come to claim you by these signs as my future guests and to tell you that i am preparing a place for you in my kingdom at every word she spoke a gust of icy wind came from her mouth, and froze the blood in the listener's veins. If she had stayed a moment longer, they would have stiffened into stone, but when she had spoken thus, she rose and left the hall, and the singing winds went out with her. Then, after a long silence, Baggy stood up and spoke, Asir, he said, we are to blame, it is now many months since Adina was carried away from us, and we have mourned for her. But we have not yet avenged her loss, since she has left us a strange weariness, and desperate despair has come over us, and we sit looking on each other, as if we had seized two warriors in Azir. It is plain that unless Ardina returns, we are lost, let two of us journey to Arduna's front, which we have too long neglected to visit, and inquire of her from the Norns, for they all know things and then, and then, when we have learnt where she is, we will fight for her liberty, if need be, till we die. For that will be an end more fitting for us than to sit here and wither away beneath, under the breath of Helena. At these words the Bragge and the Esir felt a, rev- a revival of their own strength and courage. Odin approved of Bragi's proposal, and decreed that he and brander should undertake the journey to the dwelling-place of the norns that that very evening they set forth for helena's visit showed them that they had no time to lose it was a weary time to the dwellers in asgard while they were absent two citizens had taken up their abode in the city age and pain they walked the streets hand in hand and there was no use in shutting the doors against them for however closely the entrance was barred, the dwellers in the house felt them as they passed. 4. Through the Flood and Fire At length Baldur and Bragi returned with the answer of the norms, couched in mystic words, which Odin alone could understand. It revealed Loki's treacherous conduct to the Asir, and declared that Edina could only be brought back by Loki, who must go in search of her, clothed in Freya's garments and falcon feathers. Loki was very unwilling to venture on such a search, but Thor threatened him with an instant death if he refused to obey Odin's commands, or failed to bring back Edina, and for his own safety he was obliged to allow Freya to fasten the falcon wings to his shoulder and set off towards Theus's castle in Jotunheim, where he well knew that Edina was imprisoned. It was called a castle, but it was in reality a hollow in a dark rock, and the sea broke against two sides of it. And above, the sea birds clamoured day and night. There the giants had taken Udina, on the night of which she had left her grove, and fearing lest Odin should spy for her, the heir throne, he had shut her up in a gloomy chamber and strictly forbidden her here ever to come out it was hard to be shut up from the fresh air and sunshine, and yet perhaps it was safer for Udina than if she had been allowed to wander about Jotunheim, and see the monstrous sights that would have met her there. She saw nothing but Thais himself and his servants, whom he had commanded to attend upon her, and they, being curious to see a stranger from a distant land, came in and out many times every day. They were fair, Udina saw, and smiling, and at first it relieved her to see such pleasant faces around her when she had expected something horrible. Pity me, she used to say to them, pity me, I have been torn away from my home and my husband, I see no hope of ever getting back. And she looked earnestly at them, but their pleasant faces never changed, and there was always, however bitterly, Udina might be weeping, the same smile on their lips. At length Udina, looked more narrowly at them and saw they turned their backs to her that they were hollow behind that they were in truth ellen women who have no hearts and can never pity anyone after edina saw this she looked no more at their smiling faces but turned away her head and wept silently it is very sad to live among ellen women who when one is in trouble every day the giant came and thundered at Edina's door have you made up your mind yet he used to say to give me the apples something dreadful will happen to you if you take much longer to think of it urina trembled very much every day but still she had the strength to say no for she knew that the most dreadful thing would be for her to give to a wicked giant the gifts that had been entrusted to her for the use of the assiers the giant would have taken the apples by force if he could but whenever he put his hand into the casket, the fruit slipped from beneath his fingers, and shriveled into the size of a pea, and hid itself in the crevices of the casket, where the great fingers could not come. Only when odina's little white hand touched it, it swelled again to its own size, and this she would never do whilst the giant was with her. So the days passed on, and Odina would have died of grief amongst the smiling Ellen women, if there had been not for the moaning sound of the sea and the wild cry of the birds for however others may smile these pity me she used to say and it was like music to her one morning when she knew that the giant had gone out and when the ellen women had left her alone she stood for a long time at her window by the sea watching the mermaids floating up and down the waves and looking at at heaven with their sad blue eyes, she knew that they were mourning because they had no souls, and she thought within herself that even in prison, it was better to be long to the seir than to be a mermaid or an Ellen woman. They were so ever so fr- they were ever so free and happy when while she was still occupied with these thoughts, she heard her name spoken and a bird with large wings flew in at the window, and, smothering its feathers, stood upright before her. It was Loki, and free as garments and feathers, he made her understand, and the moment that he had come to set her free, and that there was no time to lose, he told her to conceal her casket carefully in her bosom, and that he said a few words over her, and she found herself changed into a sparrow with the casting fastened among the feathers in her breast. When Loki spread his wings once more, and flew out of the window, and Adina followed him, the sea wind blew cold and rough, and her little wings fluttered with fear. But she struck them bravely out into the air, and flew like an arrow over the water. This way lies Asgard, cried Loki, and the word gave her strength, but they did not but they had not gone far, when his sound was heard from above the sea, and the wind and the call of the sea-birds, had head put on his eagle plumage, and was flying after them. For five days and five nights the three flew over the water that divides Jotunheim and Asgard, and at the end of every day they were closer together, for the giant was gaining on the other two. All the five days the dwellers in Asgard stood on the wall of the city watching, on the sixth evening they saw a falcon and a sparrow closely pursued by an eagle flying towards asgard there will not be time said Bragi, who was been calculating the speed at which they flew the eagle will reach them before they can get into the city but odin desired a fire to be lighted, lighted upon the walls and thor and Thry with what strength remained to them tore up the trees from the groves and gardens and made a rampant fire around the city the light of the fire showed Idina, her husband, and her friends waiting for her. She made one last effort, and rising high above the air, above the flames and smoke, she passed the walls and dropped down safely at the foot of Odin's throne. The giant tried to follow, but wearied with his long flight, he was unable to raise his enormous bulk sufficiently in the air, and the flames scorched his wings as he flew through them, and he fell among the flaming piles of wood and was burnt to death. How Edina feasted with Azir on her apples, now they grew young and beautiful again, and how spring and the garden leaves, and the music came back to the groves. I must leave you to imagine, for I have made a story long enough already, and if I say any more, you will fancy that it is Bragi who has come among you, and that has entered on this endless story. I want to thank everyone for coming out for This episode of the Fotations Live Today podcast. I am recording this in bulk. So I'll be back pretty soon. I'll be back. (sighs) Probably Saturday. Probably Sunday. I'll be back live. So I want to thank everyone for coming out. See you all later. Bye bye.